Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Uh, We'll continue our study of Acts that we picked up last week by looking at the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey in chapter 19. But as we saw last week, uh, Paul was not doing very much traveling. Uh, Chapter 19 focuses on Paul's extended ministry in the city of Ephesus, which lasted almost three years. Um, So uh, we saw how um, in Ephesus, um, Paul encountered these disciples of John, who while having uh, a message of of John's baptism, of repentance, uh, they had not yet uh, encountered the full message of Jesus Christ. And so um, Paul presented um, the message to them and baptized them in Jesus, and we saw the confirmation of this new life in Christ by the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Uh, We then saw how, in typical Pauline fashion, Paul started his ministry in Ephesus by teaching in the synagogue for over three months until um, controversy arose in the synagogue, uh, opposition, uh, when people became stubborn, continued in unbelief, and spoke evil of the way. So this kind of tripart rejection of Paul's message. So Paul took up um, these afternoon or daily talks in the hall of Tyrannus, which he continued for two years, so that, um, as Luke says, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. We also saw in chapter 19 how Paul performed miracles, healing the sick and uh, making whole the uh, demon-possessed. Um, We saw how these miracles attracted wannabe imitators, such as the sons of the Jewish high priest Sceva, who attempted to cast out uh, demons in Jesus and Paul's name, which led to the humorous demonic retort, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? (laughs) Um, But there was nothing humorous, though, about the role of magic in Ephesian culture. Um, And we talked about how magic seeks to manipulate the gods, expecting formulaic results, whereas a miracle is God's sovereign act. Um, So um, the believers come to recognize that syncretism or continued practice of magic is not compatible with belief in Jesus Christ. And so they confessed and divulged the secret things that they had been practicing Um, And they didn't just do it verbally, but they followed up uh, with this um, public burning of their magic books that Luke goes out of his way to note were worth a large sum of money, 50,000 pieces of silver. So this rejection of magic and the burning of these manuals of magic are a major public statement about the change uh, of these people's lives. And Luke further highlights the change in uh, Ephesus through um, how these transformed behaviors affected the economy of the city. Um, The enormous temple of Artemis in Ephesus, one of the seven wonders of the world, uh, drew religious pilgrims and tourists flocking to see this magnificent structure. And craftsmen, who benefited from the city's thriving trade in religious artifacts, idols, uh, representations of the temple, 
noticed a significant drop in their business. Um, and they singled out Paul's teaching as the source of their economic pinch. And we saw how they stirred up uh, a religious riot and defense of Artemis of the Ephesians. And I love how Luke says uh, in verse 32, uh, most of them did not know why they had come together. <laughs> Isn't that just like a riot? Like, why are we here? <laughs> um, uh, and then that riot uh, was, uh, was brought um, to an end. Um, Paul wanted to go and engage the crowd, but um, disciples and other leading citizens of um, Ephesus prevented him, and we saw um, the, the clerk of the town, uh, the town clerk. Uh, and, and notice it's a pretty long speech of the town clerks that, that Luke chooses to quote at length, and he settles things down. Um, so today, we'll see the, the journey part of Paul's third missionary journey. Um, as Luke gives us a truncated, kind of abbreviated count of a period of time that Paul spent um, crossing over to Macedonia, down through Greece, back up to Macedonia, and then back along the coast. And he comes, uh, chapter 20 will end with Paul, not back in Ephesus, but back meeting uh, near Ephesus with the leaders of the Ephesian church. Um, and so we're not done with Ephesus yet. Um, so with that as an introduction, uh, let me uh, pray and then read the scriptures for us. So let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word, uh, your revelation of yourself to us, and your revelation of your work through the actions of men uh, like Paul and his companions. We thank you for the spirit that you gave them uh, and the spirit that we see directing their movements, the spirit that empowers them to proclaim your name boldly. And we uh, know that that same spirit uh, fills us through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you would um, use these words to embolden us to proclaim uh, your name, to embolden us to walk in the way that Jesus taught us, to walk um, in obe obedience uh, in faith to Jesus Christ and his uh, commands to us, and that we would, even as Paul uh, encourages the Ephesian uh, elders, that we would be imitators of uh, the godly men who we see in these chapters. Lord, we ask that you would, uh, in all things, uh, show us Christ. Show us uh, where we're sinful or neglectful of our duties uh, and show us and encourage us to be uh, faithful witnesses to, to Jesus Christ, uh, both here in Concord and in the towns that we live and the places we work, but even uh, that you would allow our small body to spread your name to the ends of the earth and to participate in your bringing about your kingdom. And we ask these things in Christ's name by the power of your spirit. Amen. So uh, we're going to be focused on chapter 20, but I do want to um, start back in 19. So we'll start just before the riot in Ephesus because we'll, um, uh, we'll see the beginnings of Paul's purposes um, or Paul expressing his purposes for the, his future travels 
in 19, and we'll see um, how that affects his um, choices he's making in chapter 20. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him, and even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hands, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, 
And in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul there, aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next way we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which he is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. 
In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Thus far, the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. May he open it in our hearts by the power of his spirit. Um, so, uh, here we see Paul... Um, now we see the missionary journey of Paul's third missionary journey. Um, but Luke narrates it in a very abbreviated way. Um, so, uh, yeah, he, he, he smushes a lot of places um, and an you know, indeterminate period of time. Um, he, he gets real interested in time later in this chapter, even giving like a day-by-day, blow-by-blow of Paul's trip along the coast of what's now modern-day Turkey. But in the first part, in his ministry in Macedonia and Greece, he, he really doesn't give us a, a ton of, of, of details. So what's the point of um, documenting the things that Luke chooses to document here? Like as we read verses um, you know, 1 through 16, um, yeah, what would you, what, what, what's the main thing that Luke wants us to know about this section of Paul's ministry, particularly in, in Macedonia and Greece? Yeah, Cynthia. Yeah, that he is, um, he, he, he's faithful and he's being, you know, and notice how he's, he's faithful and purposeful in doing it. Like he, even before the riot, like he's already planning to go to Macedonia and Greece and he sends people ahead uh, of him and then he goes and he, and he ministers there. And, and the, you know, the word that, that Luke uses multiple times um, in this is encouragement. Um, you know, he's already um, established churches in these places. You know, we saw him doing that in his second missionary journey. You know, he goes to Athens. He goes to Corinth. He goes to Philippi. You know, he goes to, you know, these places in Macedonia. And then he goes to Athens and Corinth down in Greece. Um, so he's, he's returning to these places. And everywhere he goes, yeah, he's working hard. And he's, he's giving them much encouragement. You know, uh, Verse 1, And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed. Uh, when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. Um, and then he stays, um, presumably the winter months, uh, in, in Greece, probably Corinth, um, ministering uh, there. So, yeah, the, the faithfulness of Paul, and that's going to come up in his speech to the Ephesian elders at the end. Like he's using himself as an example of not using this position of authority to 
um, augment himself, but you know he uses that word. I'm a servant of the Lord, and servant there is, is bond servant. He's a doulos. He's a slave in the service of the Lord. That's how he considers himself, um, and he's being faithful to discharge the duty of of being a servant of the Lord. Good. So faithful? Yeah, Teresa. Yeah, and, and notice again, like, so back in chapter 19, uh, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. Um, and then, you know, when he's uh, talking to the Ephesian elders, again, he's emphasizing to them the spirit is directing him to Jerusalem. Um, and the spirit is even letting him know, he, like, he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen to him. He's like, yeah, I'm going there. What awaits me? God only knows. But the Spirit is, is telling me to go there. And the Spirit has let me know that there are going to be some bad things that happen on the way. Everywhere I go, I'm going to face affliction. Uh, and yet, you know, he goes because that is what the Spirit has directed him to do. And in many ways, um, this is kind of... we. we might be reading too much into it, but literary, people look at Luke Acts from a literary perspective, notice parallels between Paul here and Jesus and the Gospel of Luke. Whereas, you know, right around chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus starts focusing his attention on going to Jerusalem and what he has to, to do there. Um, and here, you know, here we have Paul focused on getting to Jerusalem. And notice how that like, even bypasses going to Ephesus to make sure he can get to Jerusalem by um, the festival of Pentecost. Like, so like, he, he's purposed to go there, and, he, and even beyond that, as he says in chapter 19, to Jerusalem and from there to Rome. And so um, uh, just as Jesus has that spirit-filled objective of going to Jerusalem with this mission to sacrifice himself on the cross. Um, Paul has this spirit-driven mission to go to Jerusalem and to serve the Lord, um, you know, even to, to going to Rome, n knowing that that's going to mean, just as Jesus knew, you know, like, you know, chapter 9, he starts telling his apostles, I'm going to Jerusalem, there I'll be crucified and killed. And apostles are like, what? <laughs> um, here, you know, Paul is, yeah, I'm going, and you'll probably never see me again. Um, you know, he tells those Ephesian elders, like, you know, I'm going, and it, it could end my life, um, but, but that's what the Spirit has directed me to do, just as Teresa noted, like, so that emphasis on Paul following the Spirit's guidance, even though he knows it'll be of, of cost to him. Good. What else does uh, Luke emphasize about Paul's ministry in these early chapters? Yeah, Kathy.
Yeah, absolutely. And I think you put your finger on what Luke is emphasizing in this chapter is that, um, yeah, Paul does a lot of great stuff, but the, the church is going to thrive not because, of, not because of the work of one person, but the work of faithful men and women um, who, have, who are, are serving alongside him. Um, I mean, you know, Luke goes out of his way to kind of talk about, by name, you know, all seven of these men who are with Paul in his Macedonian and, and travels in Greece. And he also goes out of his way to note that they're from different places. Like you have Galatians. So Galatia is like kind of through modern day Turkey, take a slice through the middle. <laughs> That's Galatia. Asia in this context is particularly referring to the west coast of modern day Turkey. So like, you know, um, when he's in Ephesus, notice in chapter 19, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So he's got people from the region of Ephesus. He's got Thessalonians, people from Macedonia that are with him. So it, it's not just faithful men um, who are with him, but faithful men from different geographic areas. Um, you know, uh, different, and, and they all appear to be Greek, um, um, Timothy, we know, is, 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 is Jewish um, by his, his, his mother and grandmother. Um, but, but most of these are Greek names. Um, so he, he's got a, I hate using this word, but it, it fits. He's got an entourage. <laughs> but they're more than an entourage. It's their co-workers. It's a team ministry. Um, and he, you know, he's entrusting them to do things. Um, and presumably, you know, the one person Luke is not naming who's with Paul here is himself. <laughs> Notice how the pronouns switch. Um, in, in verse 5, Those, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. Um, and then again, um, but going in verse 13, but going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. So Luke, at this point, is, is, is probably with him. <laughs> um, so, you know, Luke is, um, is with him. And, and these are important months in Paul's life. Um, you know, Many people think this is the period when Paul wrote the book of Romans, um, this three months or so that he's spending in, in Greece. Um, it's right around this time that Paul is doing some of the you know, most important writing he does. And Luke doesn't focus on that. Like he, he chooses instead to focus on this ministry of encouragement and all these people that are with him. Um, and people who are devoted to the apostles of teaching that they're willing to stay up all night. Um, although we do have this, this warning against overly long sleep-inducing sermons. In the, yeah, just kidding. I had, to, <laughs> I had to slide that in, you know. You know. As I told Scott, I haven't killed anyone yet. <laughs> <laughs> 
They clearly haven't gotten the application of that one, have they? Yeah, it's God's work through him. And, and I love what the part of this chapter, like, he wants to be with these people. Not only do they want to be with him, he wants to be with these people as much as possible. Like, you know, he, and look how Luke narrates it. Paul talked with them intending to depart the next day. You know, he knows he's leaving the next day. So he prolong, like, prolongs his speech, like, you know, that, that's the kind of sense that Luke's giving us. Like, he knows he's leaving the next day, and so he's prolonging as, you know, he's going to use every minute of the time he has with them. And even after, you know, uh, he, he comes down and takes Eutychus in his arms, he goes back up and he breaks bread. Um, you know, presumably, you know, as we sort of talked about, you know, um, a couple weeks ago with the sacraments that they often performed it, or, you know, it was a, something they did at night, um, uh, you know, here we have night time, gathering on the first day of the week, he goes up, he continues to, to worship with them, and he stays with them, converse with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed, like, he's literally trying to be with them, and minister to them, and uh, comfort them, encourage them until the moment they leave. Um, and as you look through the chapter, like, there, there are a lot of, we don't think of Paul as a, you know, we, we think of Paul as like the, you know, the theologian, like the, the you know, the evangelist, the missionary. Um, there are a lot of emotive words in this chapter. Encouragement, comfort, you know, the latter part of 20 Notice how many times tears comes up. Like that, you know, when Paul summarizes his ministry among them, he ministered with many tears. Um, when he tells them they're leaving, um, they respond in te tears all around. Um, so it's, it's not just, you know, instruction that he's giving them, but the, the intense fellowship that comes from being bound together in Jesus Christ. Um, and which, you know, as we start moving toward his um, address to the Ephesian elders, like he, he, he's using that language of, of shepherds and the flock. Like it's, it's care, it's protection. Um, that is what 
he's tried to do among them. Um, and he wants his, his um, followers and his co-workers to, to continue to do in his absence. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, and again, it's that message of Paul, be imitators of me as I'm an imitator of Christ. Like, again, it's not, Paul's not setting himself up as the exemplar, but he's setting himself up as someone whose life has been changed by Jesus Christ. And there to, you know, emulate this, this transformed being. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, even in, um, you know, uh, uh, sorry, I'm blind and my handwriting's terrible. Um, he, he actually, uh, when, when Paul bent down over him and taking him in his arms, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. Like, the, the word he's using for life there is actually the same word used for soul. So, like, you know, it's that concern for souls. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Like, that, that's, um, and that's a great cross-reference cross from 2 Corinthians, that that concern for souls is what, is what Paul drives Paul. Um, because he himself, again, like, uh, you know, as we think about Paul, um, he knows himself as one whose life has been transformed by the gospel, by this message of faith and repentance. And so that's what he's giving, you know, that they're sinners, that they need to be repent of. As Paul says in the third chapter of Philippians, like he repents even of his own righteous acts um, because apart from Christ, they're rubbish. Um, so this life of, of repentance you know, turning away from the self um, and turning in faith to Christ and what Christ has done for us. And um, uh, Luke, only twice does Luke sort of talk about, use this kind of um, uh, sacrificial purchase language. 
Um, he does it once in the Gospel of Luke. Um, hold on, I wrote it down. Uh, da, da, da. He does it in Luke twenty-two nineteen through twenty-two, um, but but here in his message to the Ephesians, um, you know, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. You know that that you know Paul is this under steward <laughs> caring for something precious you know something that's so precious it was bought by the blood of of God's own son um, and and he's been given the charge and care of it um, you know these people's souls that again are so valuable that it, it costs God's son his life that he willingly shed to purchase this church for himself Good. Other things we want to say on the, the first half chapter before we start moving into his uh, talk with the Ephesians? Yeah, and, you know, in the nearest comparison I can think is there have been times when either I've been moving or a friend's been moving, and, you know, literally, um, I, you know, I don't know that I'll ever see this person who I've had a very deep personal relationship with ever again. Um, and so the last time I spend with them, like, I don't care, I have to be up at work in the morning. Like, I want to prolong the mo moment of that departure as long as possible. Um, and, like, you know, I'll catch up, I'll sleep on the plane or, you know. Um, and it's that kind of connection that he has with them. And, again, a connection that is fueled by the Holy Spirit that unites these people one to another, that they're united to Christ by the Spirit's common work in, in, in each of them. Um, and so, yeah, this, this purposing to spend as much time with them as possible, and, you know, it's, it's especially poignant because he, he doesn't know. Um, and his assumption has to be, I will never see them again um, in, in this earthly life. Um, you know, so this is it. Um, I might write them, we might correspond, but... This is my last time to embrace them. This is my last time to share a meal with them. The last time to share the table with them. Um, and, you know, it is a, uh, a, a moment, again, you know, not just um, a teaching moment, but it's an emotional moment, um, you know, that these souls that have been united together with, with Christ are going to be saddened by their bodily pardon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Give us more. Um, and as we get into uh, Paul's speech to these Ephesian elders, this is the third speech of Paul's. 
that's documented um, at length, um, the, the third long speech that Luke gives us in the book of Acts. And what's distinct about this speech is it's the only one um, that is focused on a, a, a Christian audience. Like he's not, it's not an evangelistic speech, it's not a speech before judicial authorities, it's not like his speech in Athens on the Areopagus. Um, this is a speech that uh, Luke is recording of Paul's to these Ephesian elders. And notice, like, he's not setting the elders up. He had presumably had done, you know, the elders of that Ephesian church already existed, and he's summoning them to come meet them at Miletus. It's about a day's overland journey. So if you can imagine a, uh, just to give you a little geography, it helps if I had a big map, but I don't. So um, imagine a big peninsula jutting off the side of, of, of the northwestern shore of Turkey. Um, Ephesus is up on one side of the peninsula. Miletus is down on the other side. So he sailed to the south side, which will give him a better shot toward Jerusalem. So he's clearly trying to make it to Jerusalem. He's on a tight schedule. He's got about five weeks to make it to Jerusalem by, the, um, by Pentecost. So, um, so he, he's gone ahead, gone to Miletus, but he wants to use his proximity to Ephesus to be able to speak with these men one last time. Um, so what would you say Paul emphasizes in this message to these Ephesian elders? So here he summoned the, the leadership of the, the church in Ephesus. They've made the day or so overland journey to, to meet him there. Um, and, and Luke's giving us the, you know, the Cliff Notes version of, of what he spoke to him. Um, yeah, what, what's important um, or what, what strikes you as the main thrust of Paul's message to these Ephesian elders? Yeah, Bill. Yeah, that, and this emphasis on what does leadership look like? Um, leadership, to be in a leadership position, doesn't mean other people serve you, but you work hard to serve others. Um, you work hard not to meet your needs, but to help meet the needs uh, of others. And that, that um, phrase you mentioned at the end, it's more blessed to give than to receive. This is one of the few places outside the Gospels, where Jesus is directly quoted, um, where, you know, we're given Jesus's very words. Um, and, and so Paul is like, again, using Christ as his model. Um, what did Christ, who, you know, existed in equality with God, um, but didn't come to be served, but came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many and what does Paul say his ministry's like here? I, when I came among you, I didn't come for you to wait hand and foot you know, on me. I came to serve you. Um, and I'm following the Spirit to continue to serve, even though 
it's going to involve tremendous cost to me. But that, you know, that phrase he has in verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Like, so that purpose, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, um, leads to this life of, of service. And again, it's not Paul's, um, he's not holding himself up as unique in this. He's just passing on the model of leadership that Christ gave to him. That you know, Christ came a, as a leader, not to be first, but to make himself last. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's about, well, it's about Paul, but again, it's about the nature of Paul's ministry. So as he's departing, because he knows there are going to be people, as soon as he leaves, the, you know, they're shepherds, but he knows there are also wolves out there. <laughs> and he's taught them to shepherd. And the temptation is, as soon as he walks out the door, as soon as he gets on that boat and sails away, that people are going to start, well, you know, Paul, yeah, he was here, but he was all about himself. Um, you know, he distorted the message for personal gain. Like, we see these in Paul's epistles all the time, Paul having to defend himself from the, the way that these opponents talk about him. And so he's emphasizing, you yourselves know um, that from day one, I never ask a farthing from you. <laughs> um, I worked among you ceaselessly. I did nothing out of personal gain. In fact, you know, how do you summarize my ministry among you? Tears, toil, and opposition, persecution from, um, from these opponents. Um, that's what my ministry has been with you. And he's not doing it in this kind of, um, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, not, he's not doing it out of a sense of bitterness. Like, he's doing it, like, you, he, he knows what's going to, afflict this church in his absence. Um, and so he wants to remind them, um, and again, he wants to remind them of his ministry because his ministry is based um, and rooted in the gospel. Um, and again, we see this in um, when we talked about the pastoral epistles um, a couple years ago, like, you know, how can you tell a false leader from a, uh, you know, a true follower of Christ? Well, you know, are they doing it for gain? Are they doing it for personal glory or reputation? You know, what are they in it for? And Paul makes it clear, he's not in it for himself. He's in it for the sake of the gospel. He's doing the things he's doing because the Spirit has directed them. Um, and he, he uses accounting language here. Um, you know, so for those of you who are accountants, um, you know, accountants get a bad rap. Uh, uh, Luke is using... Uh, 
bad rapids being boring. Um, but, you know, Luke is using uh, accounting language here, you know, where Paul is, is saying, like, he's doing this evaluation. Um, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. You know, what is the account? What's valuable? The gospel of the grace of God. Um, the, the people of God that God has purchased with his own son's blood. You know, that is what's valuable. That is why I am a doulos to the Lord. That's why I serve. Not, I don't serve to augment myself. I don't serve to augment my possessions. I serve the Lord who himself served to the point of death. Yeah, and the, the emphasis there is uh, on their, when they speak, they're going to twist, you know? It's, it's like they're going to take the straight path, the straight way that Paul's been getting instructed them, and they're going to twist it, you know? They're going to, and as you say, they're going to take a message like Paul's and use it for their own personal gain. They're going to use it to augment themselves. They're going to twist it for their own needs and purposes. And that's what they have to watch out for. Um, and that's, it's this distortion of the Christian message that Paul, again, is emphasizing, he, he hasn't just spoken to them truth, but he's spoken to, um, he's spoken from a truth that changed his life. And how do we know um, or, or how do we judge a message? We look at the, the, the life and character and purpose of the person speaking. Um, and so we're taking word and life and, and looking at them together. Yeah, we know from 2 Corinthians that 
Yeah, and to follow not just his words, but his example of, of how to live, how to lead. Like, and again, his, his model of, he, he's using Jesus' model of leadership, which, you know, how do you want to be great? You know, who's the greatest? Make yourself the least. That's how you become the greatest. <laughs> you know, how do you serve? By making sure other people's needs are met before worrying about yourself. That's what service looks like. Um, you know, doing it at a cost to yourself rather than doing it to tally, you know, some kind of payment or recompense for your excellent speech afterwards. Like, you know, and it's, you know, being a, a as we look at his letters or, you know, his words to these Ephesian leaders, like, again, he's giving them himself as a model of leadership. And what does that model look like? Um, it means being a, a leader means being a slave of Christ, doing what the Spirit directs you to do, um, doing it not for selfish gain, but doing it for the sake of Christ. Um, valuing not yourself, but valuing these people who cost the blood of Christ. Like, you know, that is what is valuable. That is the thing of, you know, that's the, the prize that you should be seeking. Not these material things, not the acclamations of men, but um, serving the, the church of Jesus Christ which he gave his own life to purchase. Yeah, Victor. Yeah, and yeah, and that's a different story. But, but yeah, whole counsel of God, um, you know, fiercely, um, you know, protecting and defending that word, um, and as you say, discipline. Like, and he even says, from among your own selves will rise these wolves. Like the wolves aren't, you know, like you know, uh, you know, they're not a gang that's identified by jackets that say, you know, the wolves. <laughs> um, like, you know, these, you know, this is, you know, within your own church. Um, and so you have to exercise care. Some of the guys sitting there are, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing. Like, you know, it's that idea that, and again, that you, um, they can't be complacent. Like, they can't, like, you know, I always say, like, the moment I feel like, oh, I've got it, and start patting myself on the back, that is the most dangerous moment in my spiritual life. Like, you have to always be on guard and aware because, you know, you, you, we have this enemy that's, you know, seeking to uh, devour us, and, and 
one of the main tools that Satan uses is our own self-inclination to pat ourselves on the back. <laughs> um, you know, this you know, pride and trust and self, rather than the model that, that um, Paul's giving of reliance on the Spirit, reliance on the whole counsel of God, um, reliance on the admonition and correction of others. Like, you know, again, God doesn't call people to be Lone Ranger Christians. He calls them to be part of a body of believers because we need each other. Um, we have blind spots, and so we need people to um, instruct us. Just as we saw uh, last week, we talked a little bit about with Apollos that... Um, he has these two older Philippian Christians, you know, take him aside and give him further instruction. And he's willing to take it. He, you know, he's the great speaker and the educated man, and yet he's willing to submit himself to the guidance of others. It always makes me think about, um, I've got a friend who, um, you know, uh, is, he's not, um, yeah, he's basically retired at this point. But well-educated, like studied under like all these great philosophers and you know great teachers, um, both theologians and, and Christian thinkers, and you know so like I kind of knew his track record, and so I was like, wow, you know who is the most influential person you know that you know you learn the most from, and I, I wish I could remember the guy's name because it'd make the story better. But the most influential person in his life was a plumber from Tallahassee, Florida, um, who was a ruling elder in their church. And the guy, like, you know, he, he believed and, and taught, um, but he also lived it in a way that, you know, this, you know, my friend recognized. And he's like, that's where I got the most Christian wisdom from. Because I saw it not just, he wasn't just, you know, he didn't just think about the gospel, but the way he applied it to his, his life, the way he lived humbly, the way he sought to serve other people. Um, and that's the kind of what Paul wants to, you know, um, as he's, you know, um, leaving and kind of like making sure he's securing his legacy uh, after he leaves, um, that's what he wants them to remember what he was like. Um, and he wants to instruct them on what they are to be like as they continue to minister to this church moving forward.
And that's a great, well, we need to end, so we'll end with that. But, um, yeah, and, and that is, as you say, like, that is what Paul, you know, what is driving Paul's ministry? Not Paul. <laughs> um, not him, you know, not himself. Um, it's the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel of the crucifixion, you know, a, a Savior who sacrifices himself, that our sin gets paid for, uh, we get clothed in his righteousness, um, an alien righteousness to us, um, and that we might you know, love and serve others. Um, uh, um, I caught a little bit of um, PBS had a, a new documentary on Martin Luther this week. Um, and I, I really liked how um, the I, I thought about um, my... Uh, one of my former professors, Dr. Steinmetz, who died um, two years ago. Um, but he had, Dr. Steinmetz had, like, you know, people say, like, Luther, you know, said, you know, works don't have any part of the Christian life. That's not what Luther said. Luther said, God doesn't need our works, but our neighbor does. <laughs> God, and the God who has shown us love and grace calls us to show love and grace by serving others. And, and so, like, this idea that Luther despised works, no, he wanted people to work, but he wanted to put the cart after the horse, that it's not our works that make us right before God. It's our being made right before God frees us from ourselves. Um, you know, I'm freed from selfishness, and now I'm in a position where I can serve others, just as um, Christ selflessly sacrifice himself that I might have life, that I can imitate Christ and serve others in a similar, selfless, humble way. Um, so let's close. Gracious God, we know um, in ourselves um, our uh, sinfulness. Uh, we know our desire to augment ourselves. Um, to uh, esteem ourselves higher than we ought, um, to lean upon our own uh, righteous deeds. Um, but uh, your word uh, shows us, exposes us, um, exposes how flimsy um, our own righteousness is, that it's not clean, but it's in fact filthy rags, um, that we need uh, righteousness uh, that comes from you, how the foundation uh, of ourselves is, is but sinking sand. Um, we need the firm foundation of Jesus Christ in us. And so we pray that you would continue to transform us. Uh, you have changed us by giving us life in Jesus Christ, and we ask that you would continue to transform us into his image, growing us more and more in grace, um, humbling us 
so as we grow in our understanding that we, like Paul, see ourselves as the chief among sinners. Um, the more we understand the gospel, the more we understand the depth of our sinfulness and our need for the gospel. And so grow us in that way, we pray, and help us uh, rejoice in thankfulness to the, the new life you give us in Jesus Christ, um, even as we gather to worship uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the coming hour. Uh, we pray these things in the name of our Savior. Amen.